my definition of pain is this. Pain is a request for change. Requests, I say requests from who? From you. It's, it's your body telling you, I need you to change something. That usually will be a habit, a behavior, which is how you think and how you move mm -hmm. and all those different things you have to look at. And it doesn't necessarily mean go harder, faster, stronger, longer, because that's unfortunately what we tried to do. We want to force strength. And I'm not saying you can't push yourself to be stronger, but your brain's never going to allow you to push beyond a certain point. If you haven't asked nicely to uh, grant it to you, and, and that's just a fundamental framework of my program these days because I found that everything works for someone, but I found the reason that things don't work is because two reasons. One, I'm giving too many things at you at once that can work, but your brain just doesn't know what to do with it yet. Mm -hmm. Or two, uh, I'm giving you things, but I have to shuffle them around and I have to give them to you in a very specific order for it to work well. And then that's what the system systems approach is that I look at people. I can just have to flip like two things around. Yeah. And, and then that, that will make all the difference in, in the world. And it's very hard to do for people because people want a protocol for everything. Mm -hmm. and, and I can't give them that. Uh, I ha have to try to teach them the ability to, to learn how to think with this thought process. So you can find it for the unique human being that's in front of you. And what I like about play is that there's really no protocol for play. There is. I like what you're doing. I really like it because you have like a guideline. You need to have some rules. Yeah. You need to have some rules. But within the, within the rules, right. you, ha you, have, you have wiggle room. But you know, you know the parameters, like your S's. I mean, that's your rules. Yeah. Because otherwise, it'd be chaos, right? Yeah. Um. But but you have to have something. But then you can play that has a little bit of give and take to it. But it's back to what you said before. I mean, if you break a rule, there's a repercussion for breaking a rule, and <laughs> that's how you learn rules. <laughs> Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and enlightening conversations around movement practice and how you can become the most heroic version of yourself through pursuing movement that's relevant to your nature. This is a podcast that's going to feature some of the top movers in the world, some of the most amazing movement thinkers, and people from fields that are related to movement as far afield as evolutionary theory, strength and conditioning, and everything in between. So if you're interested in movement, please stick around. And if you like our work and want to support it, please consider supporting us on Patreon because this podcast is completely listener supported. We don't want to take any advertising. We don't want to interrupt your experience of watching the show. So what really helps us get the best thinkers on, have the time to put these together, have the best quality for you guys as far as audio and video is your support. So please consider supporting us and enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, I like this analogy that a, a good coach is um, is a gardener, not an engineer. All right, because um, when you're working with with engineering, depending on the type of engineering, but you know, like structural, mechanical engineering, machines, um, you can you can trim the parameters down very tightly, and you can get very few degrees of freedom in each element of what you're doing, and then you can create very linear uh, if then sequences right um 
but when you're gardening, um, the parameters of all of the things that you're working with are changing all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, you don't get the same result by doing the same thing every time. Right. You get the same, you get results by, a, by gaining greater sensitivity to the parameters and learning all the different elements of the system that can be manipulated. And you can get very large changes by manipulating small things when it's the right context for you. I like that a lot. That's very good, actually. It's, it's a case in point is you can have the soil that you're doing it in, right? Mm -hmm. It's a pretty big variable on what you might have to change up the, from what you did before. And I think I saw something once or it was something like that. They were, um, a chef was going over that. Like people want, you give me the recipe. I did the recipe just like you did and it didn't come out the same. Well, there's different variables. Your oven may be different than mine. Your, the, the milk that you use might be different. It, so those things you have to take into account and you have to be okay with it and learn to adapt as you go uh, along. I, that's a really, really great analogy. I like that a lot. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about play. One thing I haven't asked you is, is what does play look like? in your practice when you're working with somebody. So I'm actually experiencing a little bit of lower back pain right now. So let's use that as an example, right? Um, for some reason, uh, back, uh, front flips are the one thing that will, will irritate my lower back. And I have a lot of goals around front flips. So uh, yeah, sometimes I overdo it. So I come in and I say, oh, I'm, you know, I've got some lower back pain right now. And, you know, so I'm taking it. You're not going to like crack my back and tell me to do, um, you know, uh, 30 dead bugs three times a day. Right. Yeah. So that's a great question. It's going to change based on the individual, but usually I'll have people, okay, well, show me what you can't do right now. Mm -hmm. I want to see where they, what they can't do or where they don't want to go. Yeah. But where they don't want to go or where they want to go. I know where they don't want to go. And I need to know those both parameters because I'm, I may can flank a person a different way where, I can move you into areas where you feel very comfortable going. So your confidence level goes up and then I can start to move you into the ones that you don't want to go into at that one. But sometimes you're automatically expecting that to come, right? That I'm going to be going there, but I'll find out where you don't want to go. And then I'll design something, a play type of game, usually either using like a ball or a stick or a balloon. Um, and I just tell them, I said, this is just something where I just want to, I can use whatever context that I want to see. I just want to check and see what your motion is like. I just want to see how you move. That's it. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I'll purposely move the ball into positions where I know that they're going to be okay. So let's say it hurts when you bend forward to touch your toes. That's the one thing that gets you. And I know when I've checked your ranges of motion according to my orthopedic test that you're okay rotating right and left and extending and you can put your hands up over your head with no pain. So then I'll throw you like a ball and I'll say, okay, catch the ball over your head or wherever in any way you want. And then all of a sudden I'll bounce it and then I'll bounce it and have you catch it. But then I'll start to bounce it a little lower. So mm -hmm. then you are you're, you're not focusing on touching your toes. You're focusing on the ball. And all of a sudden, I'm rolling it to you if, if, if I see that I can do that. And then you throw me the ball. And then usually I'll say, mate, how'd your back do? And then they say, well, I didn't feel anything. Because 
what happens is they were caught up in the moment of the ball. And that's a really big tell for me. That's huge. I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the time when I do that, most people don't feel pain when they do it. Yeah. Because it's, it's context-driven for them. Because they've had countless doctors say, I want you to bend over and touch your toes. Mm-hmm. Ten times out of ten, that's hurt every time they've been to get an examination. This time, it was, you're getting there, but you don't realize that you're getting there. It's almost like I'm mixing in the dog treat you know, in with your food. You don't know you're getting it. And then my favorite one is just using the, like I'll have a stick because I'm, I'm a really big fan of like holding things and tools and a stick is very primal. And, um, I'll just say, okay, I just want, I'm going to move the stick near you and just don't let me touch you with the stick. It's a fan. It's a wonderful, wonderful play game. I just want to see what strategy they want to use not to touch the stick. And I usually say, okay, you can't move beyond one foot from where you are. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I just, I watch what they do. That's it. Yeah. And it's very revealing. So here's the beautiful thing. It's an assessment, but it's a, cor- it's a corrective at the same time. Yeah. Right. And then other times I'll use a balloon. Balloon I like a lot because there's a variability to the balloon. And I don't know if anybody doesn't like balloons unless you don't like clowns. So I have to look back in your history for any clown trauma. But um, I'll just have a balloon and I'm just going to see what happens with the balloon and where you go with the balloon. Because I can say, it's oh, this is a reflexive thing. I'm checking with your brain. I can give you anything that I'm looking for if you care to know about it. Because if you want to want this guy's little batshit crazy, why is he playing with a balloon? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll just watch and monitor from there. So in my eyes, when I watch you play, it reveals a lot to me but most of the time i just got to get you out of your own way and in your own head but sometimes people can have here's another thing i want to tie it into is that many people can have an underlying problem to say it's your lower back but it doesn't mean because your lower back hurts that that's actually where the problem is coming from or that it's even in the same system so i talk a lot about systems of the body And that you've got your musculoskeletal system, which is just most people go after the muscles in the back that hurts or the skeleton system in the back that hurts. And I'm like, well, what about all the other ones? First of all, you've got your circulatory system, right? You've got your lymphatic system. You've got your organ system. I've got my endocrine system. I've got my immune system. Majority of the time, what I find is that it's not the musculoskeletal system that has the problem. It's one of the other underlying systems that's the issue. It's just manifesting itself in a musculoskeletal presentation. Yeah. And it's very simple for me in my world. I just think balance from homeostasis um, in Western medicine, they call it. and mm-hmm. Eastern medicine, they, they call it yin and yang. Yeah. Flow state, give and take. And in, in the brain, it's always sinking seeking balance too it's either on or off or up or down that's what it's striving for and i I say to people i have a really novel idea if you've got all these issues in your back how about i just take a look at that front Mm -hmm. all i'm going to do is go towards the front and it just so happens that a lot of the stuff that i just mentioned to you of those other systems sit right there your organs sit right there the primary blood flow in your whole body sits there, call your aorta. 
Your primary immune system response sits right there in relationship to your lymphatics and your small intestines. 80% of your immune system is in your intestines. And most people don't have adequate movement in the viscera or the organs. And all I got to do is stick a couple of fingers in some strategic places in there, and you'll know quick, fast, and in a hurry whether it's a problem or not because it's not supposed to hurt in there at all. Mm-hmm. And in my world, honestly, I would say 9.9999% of the time. 99.99 or 9? Yeah, either one. <laughs> it's a lot of nines. <laughs> it's not a 10 because there's no absolutes. 10 out of 10. Yeah, that um, there's an underlying issue there. Yeah. But see, nobody looks there because it doesn't hurt there. Sure. Yeah. And that's what stop chasing pain means. So why do you think that people's viscera are, are dysfunctional? Because there are human beings alive in the world today. It's the toxicity. The it's, it's everything. It's the, it's the toxicity that the human body has been exposed to since the moment you took your first breath mm-hmm. up until now. It's the way that it's adapted to the type of movement patterns that you're doing or the past physical and mental and emotional traumas you've had in your life going all the way back to, um, I was 10 years old and I got, I'm riding my bike and I got my bike handle jammed in my right rib cage, stuff like that. All those things that go into play. Many people don't breathe from their diaphragm to move the abdominal contents enough. We have absolutely horrific nutrition that's hitting in the gut. And then what you learn when you study emotional based medicine and where most of the nerve plexi, that's gatherings of nerves live, it's in the abdominal region. So what I've studied Eastern medicine a lot and they call the abdominal region, so roughly three to four inches up from your navel, that's the emotional chi point center of your body where everything in your life you've tried to push to the side until you're ready to deal with it, that's where it sits. And then, um, so my kind of tongue-in-cheek answer is, is why does that area become so vulnerable? It's because it's the price we pay of being human beings in the world today. And nobody's ever really done anything, quite honestly, to do any type of um, maintenance there. You're told to brush your teeth all the time or you're going to lose your teeth. You're, you're told to do these things as a maintenance. Nobody does anything for the abdominal region besides freaking planks or something, you know, and then you think that you're good. And when you look at autoimmune disease as well, um, and the cool thing with the brain research and pain research is that they're discovering that the, abdominal region in your brain they talk to each other a lot yeah if you have if you have an underlying brain problem you will have an underlying visceral problem particularly in your gut in your intestines it's impossible to have a problem with one without having one with the other it is impossible Mm -hmm. it just depends on which one is driving more of the bus yeah the gut up or brain down or both there's always both But it ties back to what we were saying before. Like, if, if I'm trying to change your pain, I have to change your brain, correct? 
Mm -hmm. have to change how you think. It's very difficult to change how you think if your brain is sitting in underlying inflammation all the time around the brain. Mm -hmm. And many times people want to change. Many times they want to get out of pain and they're doing everything right, but it still doesn't happen. That means you have to address the underlying inflammation that's in the body. And movement, unfortunately, um, can be a piece of that puzzle. But when you already have so much inflammation in your body and you do movement, you can create more inflammation. Yeah. So you have to be able to deal with the inflammation that's already there so you can handle the inflammation that's coming later because you need inflammation because inflammation happens from stress. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a healing response until it's out of whack. Correct. You, you need inflammation and you need stress. You're just not supposed to have it, keep it all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> and then that's what I'm finding is that people have incessant stress. They have incessant inflammation. And you have to deal with those underlying factors that go along. And when you understand how all these different systems work together, you'll realize that there's no way in the world that your, your back can function at its optimal, even biomechanically, if you've got an issue of anything that's wrong with the contents in the front, even from just a mobility motion standpoint. That's why when people say, How do, why does breathing from my diaphragm make such a big difference in my pain everywhere? Well, one, it's gonna have a stabilization effect on your body to make you more stable because when you breathe, you change pressure in the body and pressure is stabilization. But breathing in and out through your diaphragm moves all of your abdominal contents a lot, mm -hmm. like a huge amount. Your kidneys can move up to six to seven centimeters from a deep breath. Don't you think about that? That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it, it also moves fluid. So pressure moves fluid. It moves your blood flow. It's not just your heart. It moves your blood flow, but it also moves your lymphatic flow. And your lymphatic system is the sewage detoxification system of the body that gets rid of the inflammation. Mm -hmm. You can't get rid of the inflammation if you have an underlying vascular issue or lymphatic issue. If you don't clear that system, then all the rehab that you're trying to do will not have the same beneficial outcome because you've you put a wall in front of the capability of the body to go further, even with the rehab that you're doing, that actually can get you further. It just can't right now because you've, there's still something in the way yeah. that we have to do. Now, in, in my world, when you come in to see me, I, I, I'm a generalist when you see me which means I look at everything. I have to look at your whole garden. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to look at it all. And that's what my work is about, is uh, checking through all of those other systems. I start with where your pain is, mm -hmm. and then I branch out from there. And then that's pretty much the, the basis of what I do right now, is just a pop your hood, do a full complete systems check. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, like, lymph is one of those things that feels like, uh, we all know it's there, but we don't really know what it's doing, right? 
Yeah, well, it's pretty much keeping you alive because if it stops working, you're dead in 24 hours. So it's kind of important. <laughs> Jordan Peterson's wife recently um, had a surgery that, that clipped one of her lymph things, right? And so she Who did? Jumping lymph. Tammy Peterson. Jordan. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she was essentially like, you know, very close to dying because her yeah. lymph was not functioning, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's it's it's... To me, it's the most important system in your body that no one ever talks about or no one is looking at. And movement is one of the primary ways that you can help that system. Yeah, yeah. I talk a lot about the idea like <clears throat> walk, right? You got to walk regularly. Big, it's a big pump for your lymph. Huge. Basket, right? So it's great. But it, this is where it comes into that systems theory again. And I talked about the order of things. Because people say, uh, if, if I jump on a trampoline or if I do this, will it move? Will it help my lymph? Yeah, everything helps your lymph, man. That, that's what movement is. I don't care what kind of movement you do. But what happens if the system is so overloaded and backed up? I don't care how much you move. You're, you're not going to move it to where it needs to be. You got to go in there and you got to get it released. You need to do some extra work first. So then you move. So you're that's, talking about like a manual therapy to release the yes. Yeah, you have to do a manual therapy type release to it. Um, or what happens is you may have so much inflammation in, in your body that you have to reduce the, the immune. Because the lymphatic system is part of your immune system. Yeah. And your lymphatic system doesn't become inflamed unless you have an immune system problem. Mm -hmm. So if, you, if your lymph keeps coming back as a problem every time you keep clearing it, it's not a lymphatic system problem anymore. It's an immune system problem. You have to go a little bit deeper. But first of all, as you, you just release the lens, like you can't plant the seed until you till the soil first. Mm -hmm. Then it's going to be much easier to grow the seed as opposed to just throwing it on top of the soil. Sure. Back to the gardening analogy. It's the same thing with the lens. All you have to do is open it and stimulate it up by hand a little bit, and then you move. And then that's what I've tried to dedicate myself for over these last three to four years to teach people about this system because they don't know about it. But even if they did, they don't know, well, what do I do about it? I, I don't know how to help it. And I tried to make it very simple and very uh, approachable for people and not seem overwhelming or complicated to move them up because it's not, even though people will make it appear that way, uh, but it's really not that difficult. And so then they can have a system of approach to begin to do it. And then here's what usually happens when I show people the system. They say two things. One is, one is this. Why in the hell didn't somebody tell me this before? Because, man, oh, man, this makes so much sense, and I can't tell you how much better I feel. And then the other one is this. It can't be that simple. If it's that important... It has to be complicated, or if it's that important, somebody should have told me about it now. Oh, uh, no, not so much. Yeah. No. Like play. To me, it's very simple. And it's like you go climb something, and they're freaking blown away about how much better that they feel when they've done a gajillion uh, McKinsey exercises on the ground or whatever technique you want to do. And then, then they get really happy, and then they get kind of pissed off. Yeah. Because like, people need to know this, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. I um so I, 
I'll, I don't know. I'm all, I kind of want to tell you a little bit of my own background because I think it's, you know, it'd be interesting. I, I don't want to ask too much of your professional service here on a, on a podcast, but, uh, hmm. but there's a, there's an interesting interplay between some of the ideas that you're talking about here and what we've seen, what, what, what I've experienced. So 12 years old, I was sexually abused. Um, after that I developed vitiligo. So that's, uh, you know, bleaching of the skin, autoimmune condition. And then I've had IBS symptoms. I'm not really sure starting when, but sometime around them. And I also chronically have inflamed, chronically had inflamed lymph nodes on my neck and then uh, on my, uh, in my groin to the point where I thought I had a sports hernia a couple times because they're so uh, inflamed. And, um, you know, it's it's really interesting to to notice how certain things can feel like they're taking the brakes off. Like I I train really hard. I do you know I eat pretty well. I do all these things, and then like recently I did a, a period of time on the carnivore diet. Mm. Now my theory with the carnivore diet is not that human beings are carnivores and that you shouldn't eat plants, but it's right. that when you have an underlying uh, autoimmune condition. It can remove a lot of the things that are potentially irritating to that autoimmune condition and get that chronic inflammation down. And that's exactly what happened when I did it, right? My body weight dropped 10 pounds in six weeks and, uh, and my strength just went up. Like the, the ease of, of getting stronger from exercise was, was dramatically improved. Um, so, so I'm seeing this, this, uh, I'm seeing these interplay between the ideas that you're talking about play out in my own personal history, right? Um, I don't know. Oh, the other thing that happened around the same time is right around that period of time. I also went from basically a little bit earlier, but kind of related to that. I was raised in a family that we were literally in a lot of ways getting our food off the land when I was young. So we were vegetarians. Um, but my mom like was farming potatoes and, and, you know, plants and all this stuff. And she was making, like she was grinding our own grains and blue corn from our garden up until I was about eight. And then progressively after that diet moves towards standard American diet. So by the time I'm 16, I'm like eating double bacon cheeseburgers and a large strawberry shake and a French fries and then puking, right? Cause my sure. body it but i liked it um <laughs> you know what i mean uh and so that so all of these traumas all kind of like hit me at the same time um and then at 12 years old i had my first severe ankle sprain and then throughout my entire teens bam over and over and over again hitting those ankles yeah. um, so there's some 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 way that this is all related but then there's the interesting thing of what in the system is the is the point that helps starting everything to integrate and then reorganize in a, in a better way. Yeah, that's a great question. So I uh, have a thought process that I go by because one of the things that I try to tell my clients is that you're coming to see me not from my techniques or my, my tools, but how I think. Yeah. Because I'm trying to get through the underlying puzzle of the human being in front of me, but I have to have a framework to work in. <clears throat> and I talked about the systems theory, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll just mention the top two and the, the bottom two. Yeah. So there, there's nine of them. Yeah. I'm going to start at the bottom. The hierarchy means this. Anything that's closer to number one yeah. is more important. Yeah. 
<clears throat> and then people, anything that's nine, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying it's not as important in the hierarchy as number one. Yeah. Because you need all parts of the system. And then people said, well, what do you use to determine what's more important? And I said, I'm really going by one thing. <clears throat> what your brain thinks is more important. Mm -hmm. So we know this, the brain's main thing that it's concerned about is, dude, do me a favor. How about we don't die today? That would be awesome, <laughs> right? It doesn't care if you're happy at all, just that you're still breathing. Yeah. So my hierarchy is based on this. When something goes wrong with that system, you die faster. Hmm. That's why it's more important, which means it, run, it jumps to the front of the line and what the body has to do to protect it, which means it sacrifices things lower on the scale. It's kind of like a sacrifice the guy in the infantry so the general doesn't get killed. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so number nine is your site of pain or what your psoriasis or whatever your damn diagnosis is. That's number nine. And okay, I'm going to do something there. I'm going to treat the, let's say it's your ankle. Mm -hmm. I'm going to treat your ankle. So nine, <clears throat> or if it's IBS. Yeah. Number eight is muscle, fascia, and joint. The stuff that we always go after. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna rehab your ligaments. I'm gonna rehab your muscle. I'm not because they could be damaged for sure, right? <clears throat> so those are the the ones that most people go after. Yeah, and I go after those too. But then I'm also gonna go up to number one and number two. Let me tell you what number two is. Number two is the lymphatic system. Why? because that's the detoxification system of the body, a big part of your immune system, which takes care of inflammation anywhere in the body, even from chronic pain. And I know that if it doesn't work in a day, you're dead. Then number one is the brain. The brain in and of itself in relationship to uh, its function, but I put in there uh, stress and slash emotion. So stress is physical and emotional stress. That is there. And then the number one thing that in relationship to the brain I have to be able to do for you is aesthetic dominant, always on guard, don't die mode. So you, you broke up right yeah. that the number one most important thing for the brain is. Yeah, the number one most important thing for the brain <laughs> to get into a healing state. Did you hear that? I broke up again. More and more, okay. same place. The most important thing for the brain is to allow you to get into a healing state. Yeah. There's two states that you're usually in to make it simple. Mm -hmm. You got sympathetic state and parasympathetic state. Sympathetic state is fight, fight, freeze, freak out, survival mode, always on. Don't let the tiger eat me today. Don't die today. You never rest. Then you got parasympathetic state, which is your ability to relax and heal yeah if you can't reach parasympathetic state you're never going to heal you're never going to get number nine better i don't care what you do yeah so i got to get you into that parasympathetic mode the number one nerve in the body to do that is your vagus nerve so i have to do vagus nerve work 
vagal stimulation work, or you can do that through meditation techniques, breathing techniques, things like that. I just do it more through manual work. Right? And then I can take your brain and I can automatically improve the function of the brain because when I take you out of sympathetic state too, I get better oxygen delivery everywhere. So I take care of number one. Here's the beautiful thing. Uh, if I take care of one and I take care of number two, they trickle all the way down to number nine. Yeah. If I take care of nine, number nine builds up towards number one. So I meet in the middle. Most people try to push their way through and attack nine up to one. Yeah. What I want to do is what's cool is they've discovered over the last several years, but really not. It was discovered over 200 years ago, but medicine just chose to ignore it or they just didn't think it was important. And they vilified the guy that discovered it because they said, you're wrong. How many times did that freaking happen? Uh, he discovered lymphatics in the brain because medicine up till 10 years ago or so didn't think that the brain had its own ability to detoxify itself through lymphatics. And now we know that it does. So when I do number two, I also help number one because I need to reduce the inflammation and the toxins that are in your brain that may be causing you to not be able to change your pain pattern or not be able to change your thought process or not be able to get you out of that stress response through your hypothalamus or your insula or your thalamus that are the keys to the threat response or the amygdala, which is the emotion center of the body, all those things. I don't care. Pick any spot in your brain. Uh, yeah. So I'll do that. And then your, here's the thing about number one, your number one never forgets anything. It always remembers to, even, even if you consciously forget, it's subconsciously. And that's what emotional trauma is for a lot of people. That's why I put it up there. And that's going to tie back to your thing in a moment. Mm -hmm. But because emotions are always driving a chronic pain issue, and they're usually always driving an underlying autoimmune issue. Mm -hmm. I don't care what the autoimmune diagnosis is. I really don't give a shit what the name is because it doesn't tell me how you got it. It's just inflammation. Just and so it's locked in the body it's, it's what they call a shock to the body and the shock gets locked in the body mm -hmm. and it ties back into something that i posted today on instagram that i'm going to read to you i was talking about cells can't heal when they're in this defense mode all the time and uh it's based on Name is S C H U B I N E R, Schubiner. And he's really one of the preeminent pain researchers. And he said this The stressful situations that trigger and contribute to the development of chronic pain do not need to be current events. Yeah. Childhood stressful events like emotional, physical, or sexual. Uh, where did I lose you? <laughs> Emotional, physical, or sexual? Not, not sure why we're freezing up. Yeah. Um, I have a pretty bad storm out here, so they told us we might lose power. They may be glitching. Okay. Um, childhood stressful events like emotional trauma, uh, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse increases the risk of chronic pain in adulthood. Yep. 
So what that tells me with your situation as well is that there may be still some underlying issues that are there, even at an emotional level that you're not, you don't know about or that I, I told you that center that's three to four inches above the navel, that's usually where it sits. But also when I started to study emotional work was this. Many people know that they have some emotional trauma or emotions based from an event. Uh, let's say that it could be anger, right? But when you dig deeper at a brain works, it's not necessarily anger that's the true emotion that it's feeling, even though you think it is. It could be something like vulnerability that's there. And until you can have it to where you understand what actual emotion that your body is holding on to in relationship to the trauma, the healing truly can't begin because there's going to be anger there for how could this happen to me? How could people not see it? But if you could also think of the context, there's also abandonment. There's also vulnerability because you feel like you weren't in control or you feel abandoned from the people that should have known. You follow? Mm -hmm. And then when, when you can, you can do that when you get into people that are very skilled with the emotional based works Two two of them that are very powerful or called the, the body code, the emotion code, or they use different concepts of psychology and um, they do different types of body work to subconsciously dig into what the body is feeling, not from a conscious level, but from a subconscious one. And then when I've seen it happen, it's been some of the stuff that's blown my mind the most in my entire lifetime when I've seen people that have been holding on to chronic pain and then they can finally attach, when they discover that one emotion and what it's tied to, uh, their pain goes away. It's like you found that there's a layer that's there and here's the thing that I found too, is that what, what event that you think is causing you the most emotional distress might not be that event. It can be another event that in passing seemed so inconsequential to you in the moment, but because of who did it to you or the context that it was in, that could have cut you really deep even though it might've been something that happened in passing yeah. that you didn't think twice about. And then that's the one. And then when you, you have to open yourself up to this emotional based work, otherwise people are not ready to accept it because you can literally ask the body the question and I, and it'll tell you right away whether it's the right answer or not. And then they do that through strength testing. And I see it all the time mm -hmm. um, where I can, I can test, the strength of your body in any way I want to test it. I can ask you a question and then test you with a question and test you with another question. And you'll be, you'll completely fall apart in your ability to pattern what you're doing completely. Otherwise, and then I'll know my answer. And then I don't get into this subject matter with patients that come to see me right away because those of them are not ready for it yet. Okay, because it it sounds crazy, it, but and until you've been there, and until you've and despair, and 
because I've been there. You're not ready to see it until you've reached that point. So that's why it's number one, but I have to tiptoe my way there. And when you're ready for it, uh, you'll see it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, we've, we've been on for 25 minutes longer than we had intended here. And well, I that was a good way to end it, man, yeah. because that was, that's, that's a pretty powerful, I usually don't get into emotion based things with yeah. people. Cause I mean, people think I'm fucking crazy. I'm sorry. People think I'm cra crazy enough. <laughs> um, but I, even when I talk about it, I mean, you're on camera with me. You see, I get yeah. a little emotional because I, um, I've been there for myself and a, a lot of other people that, have come to see me and the crazy thing when you talk about the universe and the energy is this thing is you ever you ever gone and gotten a, a, a car and then you drive it off the lot and you're like where the hell did everybody get the same car that i've got <laughs> yeah, you just yeah all of a sudden see it yeah. well that right at the beginning of this stuff people came out it just came out of the woodwork they were always there i just don't think that i was seeing them or made something changed and then now it just kind of comes my Way. You know, there's that um i i think it's a horrible book but it's that certain book the secret right but yeah right. there's a there's a truth to it which is that um it's it's not that the universe manifests things to you it's that your perceptual system shifts right when you shift your internal system so the salience landscape shifts if you're if your search image for friends is dysfunctional people right and you keep asking, why do the people who are around me screw me over, right? And then you change something internally. And then all of a sudden your search image changes. And all of a sudden these people who are around the whole time become salient to you. And then friendships can develop. Um, and that's not, I don't think that's a, a mystical thing. It's an it's, it's a internal emotional thing. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It's always been there. Yeah. Uh, I'm really sad that this is, uh, that we're having the, this, this breakup here, but you know, I'd love to have more conversations with you. I think that, uh, that there's some very interesting parallels in our work. Um, and, uh, I appreciate, uh, your, your openness to share deeply and, uh, and honestly. Well, thank you, my friend. I'll be happy to come back anytime. Yeah. I'm sure we could honestly just keep going. <laughs> yeah, we could. We could. So, I had fun. Thanks for having me on. It was very enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Perry. And uh, let's chat again soon. Yeah, you got it, my friend. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Evolve Move Play podcast. If you really like the content we're putting out, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps tremendously in getting the word out about what we're doing. And of course, you really want to support us. You can support us on Patreon. This is a listener-funded podcast. And through your funding, it allows us to have the best equipment and to attract the best guests and build our audience. So we really appreciate it if you do those things. And we look forward to talking to you next time.